Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. As we close our five talk series on Joel, I hope I'm not like Father Mackenzie in the Beatles' famous song, Eleanor Rigby. Uh, You remember Father Mackenzie, don't you, if you're old enough to know the Beatles songs? Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear, no one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? Well, I hope someone is hearing the words of this sermon because I'm not darning any more socks. Now, after this series, God willing, I plan to tackle the words of sermons on the book of Numbers. But for now, let's finish with Joel chapter 3. Now, once you find Joel in your Old Testaments, you will be richly rewarded from learning from this part of God's word. Sometimes it's called minor prophets, but really they have a major message for us since this is part of God's holy word. It's meant to help us grow in godliness and maturity as followers of the Lord Jesus. And so God has preserved Joel as one of the 66 books in his word uh, to teach us, to encourage us, to persevere as the people of God who walk by faith day by day, trusting in God's power to save. Joel in the Old Testament is quoted a few times across the New Testament. So it's easy to see the New Testament writers thought it worthwhile letting uh, this part of God's word speak into our lives as New Testament believers. So in Luke 21, verse 25, Acts chapter 2, Romans 10, uh, parts of Revelation 9 and, and a few references elsewhere in the book of Revelation. If I had to summarise Joel into five lessons, so five fingers if you haven't lost any digits in carpentry or farming accidents, here's the five that I would come up with. Lesson number one, God is sovereign over his creation, including little locusts. Lesson number two, God is full of compassion, steadfast love, and he stands ready to forgive. Lesson number three, God's people then and now need to be people of repentance. Lesson number four, the day of the Lord is coming, so be prepared. And lesson number five, no one really likes locusts unless you're our cat or our chooks, perhaps. I mentioned last time that Joel chapter two is all about the R's, rend, return, repent, and God will restore. And we saw restoration act number one in chapter two. It's a material restoration that comes upon the land, upon the animals and the people. And then right at the end of the chapter, chapter two, there's restoration act number two, this spiritual restoration. Following the people's repentance, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Well, now in chapter three, we have this final restoration act, and it's a picture of complete restoration for all those who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Now it is going to read to us one final time. Joel chapter three. For behold, in those days and at that time, When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for a wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia. Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. 
You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war, stir up the mighty man, men, all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come down, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in. Tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Now, you might be thinking, as I did when Nerida just read, righto, what was all that about then? It can be a tricky chapter to follow until we realise that Joel has changed his camera lens. See, at the end of chapter 2, think of it like Joel has his wide-angle lens on his camera and he's looking into the future, he's taking pictures into the future. Now in chapter 3, he changes his camera lens and he zooms in to give us a closer look at the day of the Lord. And through Joel's zoom lens, we see this mixture of judgment and grace and ultimately restoration for all of God's people. Verse 1, the focus is on the future and God is speaking. So he says, those days at that time, that refers to the day of the Lord, the the day of Christ. We're not given a a timetable here or specific dates, uh, but rather that the nature of this day to come is being spoken about. Once more, notice that restoration is in view. Verse 1 of chapter 3, God will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. That's sort of Old Testament code for all of God's people. But first, the nations come into view through Joel's zoom lens. Now up until now, Joel has focused solely on Judah and Jerusalem and Zion. But, But in this chapter, we read of Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia and Greek, the Greeks and Sabaeans and Egypt and Edom and the unfortunately named Valley of Shittim, 
all they're all Old Testament lands and peoples. Uh, but Joel also mentions the peoples of Australia and Korea and Malaysia and North America and South America and Singapore and even Tasmania. Every nation, that is every, all the Gentiles are brought into view in verse 2, verse 9, verse 11, and two times across verse 12. And God says, all nations, that is all peoples, all Gentiles, will one day be gathered together in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which I think is a, a cool name for a pet, uh, Jehoshaphat. It basically means God judges or God decides. Uh, it's also the name of the king of Judah at one particular point in time, but I don't think Joel is referring to him at this, play, at this point. No one's really sure whether the valley of Jehoshaphat is a literal or physical location. I tend to think that Revelation 18 to 20, uh, the last book in the Bible, seems to point to the Valley of Jehoshaphat being symbolic of a judgment day. But maybe I've got that wrong. In any case, there's no way of identifying this actual place on a map. And there's confusion all around. Whenever you get a Bible atlas out and you try and pinpoint exact locations when it comes to apocalyptic genre. Nonetheless, Joel foresees this Valley of Jehoshaphat to be this final day, this final battle of judgment for the nations and ultimately vindication of God's faithful people. But we can be sure of this one thing, that God is saying one day in the future, all nations will come before him for D-Day, that is for decision day. Like a subpoena, God summons all the nations and he brings them to this valley of Jehoshaphat to answer for their offences against his people. So two uh, great themes come across in this section, that of firstly divine judgment. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Remember, our God is a consuming fire. And the second great theme is that of his covenantal grace that never fails. God will not forget those who are truly his. Uh, also in this passage, especially Joel chapter 3, Verse 13 is the inspiration behind the, the famous battle hymn of the Republic. You know, that one, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage like the grapes are off. Yeah, it's sort of a joyful sort of song, but it's not really. His truth is marching on. It's a song of judgment. God's truth will march on and it will win out in the end. And his justice will be final and perfect. And so the chapter goes on to talk about God's judgment and his decision making is actually based on how these nations have treated God's people or his heritage, Israel, in verse 2. See, according to the Bible, the way you treat God's people is the way you treat God himself. So sometimes God's people in the Old Testament, they were scattered among the nations, verse 2. They were traded as slaves, even sexual slaves, according to verse 3. They were sold among the peoples, treated with absolute contempt. Sometimes God's people across the Old Testament had their land divided up and taken from them, verses 6 to 8. Sometimes God's people had lots cast for them, verse 3. They were treated like a, like a game of monopoly and they were passed around to others. And the judgment or the decision by God against the, the nations is based on their treatment, their behaviour toward his precious people. For in the Bible, across the Old Testament and the New Testament, to reject God's people is to reject God himself. The way you treat God's people is the way you treat God himself. There is this great solidarity, you see, in the Bible between God and his people. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 40, uh, whoever receives you 
receives me. Or Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these, that is my brothers and sisters, you did it to, or you did it to me, or you did it for me. And remember Saul's conversion back in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This voice from heaven comes, even though Paul, Saul has been persecuting the Christian church. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, is the message. According to the Bible, the way you treat God's people is the way you treat God himself. In fact, the next book in our Bibles, Amos chapters 1 and 2, spells this out in even more detailed terms than what Joel chapter 3 has done. And so God says, I will judge you for what you do to my peoples, O nations of the earth. Remember Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God will bless those that bless Abraham and his people, and he will curse those that curse Abraham. To touch God's people is to touch the apple of his eye. So says Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, with a reference also to Psalm 105, verse 15. So let those who persecute Jesus' people, his church today, all around the world, let them sit up and take notice and be warned. You will not escape God's righteous, holy judgment. Well, this section ends with this great verse in verse 16. Now, across the Bible, you'll find lots of wonderful 316s. Most famous of all, John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, have a listen again to Joel chapter 3, verse 16. It's also a great promise. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So despite the horror of the locust plague across chapters one and two, upon his people's repentance and returning to the Lord God is this great promise. God will be their refuge. He is their mighty fortress, their stronghold, their place of peace and security. And then from verses 17 to 21, we're given this picture of grace and final restoration for God's people. And we go from the valley of decision or judgment to the valley of delight, the valley of grace. And the restoration language here goes into overdrive. Again, we have poetic language of reversals happening of what the locusts have done to the land and the peoples across chapters one and two. But now in chapter three, it's the language of fertility, prosperity for that future day. And the day of the Lord is zoomed in uh, with the camera lens. Listen again to the words that God uses, especially verse 18. In that day, mountains will drip wine, sweet wine. Hills will flow with milk. Streams of living water shall flow. Fountains will burst forth. Now, if you take these images literally, of course, you'll end up with some really weird artwork. Joel's using... Uh, poetic language, as he has all through his prophecy. And this ch chapter takes on the genre of apocalyptic writing. Maybe one day I'll do a, a Bible talk on apocalyptic writing. Uh, Joel chapter 3 is a preview of the language, a foretaste of what we read right at the end of our Bibles in Revelation 21 and 22. It's a picture here of the eternal city of God that's safe and secure. It's uh, prosperous, peaceful, it's a land that's fertile, it's beautiful, it's radiant, it's abundant with goodness. Streams of living water, trees of life, streets of gold. You can almost hear Bono singing about the streets with no name. And God is dwelling with his people. 
See, the last word in Joel in verse 21, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So here is a restored world without sin and maybe without locusts, especially if you're a farmer. It's a restored order, a new creation for all of God's people. So Joel chapter 3 is futuristic in its language, in its vision. The restoration of God's people will one day be complete on this day of the Lord, on this day of restoration. The prophecy of Joel, remember, began with this devastating plague of locusts, but it ends now with this promise of restoration and redemption. Now, Joel chapter 3 can be a tricky chapter to follow and to unpack. And ultimately, we need to go to the New Testament writers to make sense of what's happening here in the Old Testament. We must always take our cues from Jesus and the New Testament apostles as to how to interpret or even apply the Old Testament. So remember the classic line from the risen Jesus to his confused disciples walking along the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. Or remember what the Apostle Paul does right at the end of Acts chapter 28. He's under house arrest as various seekers come to him for answers. And we read, From morning till evening he expounded to them, using the Old Testament, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, which of course includes Joel. And so we're reminded that Joel chapter 3 is pointing us to Jesus and the salvation on offer for any who call upon his name, for any who rend their hearts and return to God. And when we read the New Testament, we see this remarkable thing that the apostles do with this day of the Lord. See, according to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the day has come, so it's in the past. But according to Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth, the day is still to come, so it's in the future. But then according to Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, today is the day of salvation. So it's in the present. And that really is the message of the New Testament, isn't it? We are saved, we are restored because of events that happened in the past, supremely through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But our salvation, our restoration is not yet complete until that final day. But today, now, is the moment of our salvation. Today is the day for restoration. So as New Testament Christians, we live in between these two days, the day of Pentecost and the day of the Lord. And for those found trusting in Christ, these two days are really days of blessing, for both bring about the restoration of our hearts. And when we read the New Testament, we see this other remarkable thing happening that the apostles do with this dwelling place of the Lord. And again, it's a a past, future, present thing So according to John chapter 1, Christmas time, God dwells, he tabernacles with his people. So that was in the past. But according to Joel chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 21, and Revelation 21 and 22, what I call heaven time, God dwells with his people, but it's in the future. And then according to stacks of New Testament passages, earth time, God now dwells with his people uh, by his Holy Spirit, so in the present. And therefore the words of Joel 3.16 and John 3.16 should bring you and me great comfort. No matter what you're facing in the present or what uncertainty lies in the future or what has happened in the past, the dwelling of God with us and in us and among us guarantees a life that is different from those who have not yet experienced the kindness and mercy of God in 
the Lord Jesus. Well, I hope you found our studies in Joel useful uh, for growing deeper in your trust of God and in his word. So maybe next time you clean off a squished grasshopper from your car windscreen, you can remember Joel. But let me finish with the words of a great hymn that sum up the message of Joel pretty well for us. Rock of ages, cleft for me, hide me now, my refuge be. Let the water and the blood from your wounded side which flowed be for sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Until next time, keep finding refuge and hope in the Lord your God. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.